Welcome to the Rap Race to Five podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. What's up, Diego? So today's podcast, we don't have a guest. It's me and you, and you're in Puerto Rico, and we're talking about five to seven of our most, uh, like some of the mistakes and lessons that we've learned investing in real estate, how it's changed who we are, uh, but it's not all about just real estate. Some of the things that we've learned personally and our lives and like all that, it's it's probably, like you said, one of my favorite podcasts so far. Yeah, I am really excited, especially because this is my first podcast recording from Puerto Rico, as, as you mentioned. Uh, I'm heading back to Austin, but I feel like this is something that's really important because I feel like the audience is going to get to know us a little bit as to to understand our journey of investing and our mindset and the hurdles and the challenges that we went through that has made us where we are now investing. Like I think you you have like six years or seven years investing already. Me me too. So it's sort of like walking the audience through the journey. So I'm excited to get started. Awesome. Well. This is going to be one of those podcasts that I think people are going to listen to one or two times just to capture everything because there's a lot of nuggets and a lot of lessons learned here. So without any further ado, let's get started. Diego, what's up, my guy? So you're actually in Puerto Rico right now and you've been there for how long? I've been here for two weeks, man. Two weeks. It's been awesome. Today's my last day heading back to Uh, Austin. Okay, so real quick, give us 30 seconds. Puerto Rico, 30,000 foot view. Puerto Rico. Okay. So I came here for like to work and try that location dependent thing, but it actually turned into a vacation. Huge shout out to Paul and Janita who were a great host. Uh, man, went all over the island, went to Culebra, went to Rincon, uh, had a great, had great food and also a lot of salsa dancing, lots of like music. So for me, it was like amazing hanging out by the beach, amazing views. So yeah, it's been, it's been like the vacation of a lifetime really happy and the people here are really nice and it's funny because like you haven't been on a vacation in a minute right since you're daca in the united states um you technically can't like leave the country um but puerto rico feels like a vacation right yeah it felt like i was outside of the u.s uh it's been 22 years of course since i've been able to leave um i guess the continental u.s and i can go to hawaii and stuff but as a daca recipient like going to puerto rico for me was amazing uh, there's so much history and it literally felt like it was in a different country. So it was awesome. It's been That's awesome. awesome. Today, we're not talking about Puerto Rico, but congratulations. That sounds so exciting. Uh, I can't wait to go visit. I have not. I'm going to Cancun in December, but I'm not going to Puerto Rico. I wanted to, but I think I'm not. All that to say, Diego, today we're going to be talking about the lessons that we have learned uh, as personal growth and in real estate uh, in the last five, six years that we've been doing uh, real estate in this journey that we've, that we've taken. Um, what's your first lesson, Diego? What have you learned and how has it made you a stronger person? Yeah, the lessons that, that I've learned, right? Because it's been, it's been a crazy journey from, from that perspective. I've been investing since 2013 when I bought my, my first property. And I would say that one of the first lessons has been that Throughout my journey, the stage that I'm in or the position that I play when I partner up with people has changed. In the beginning, I was the guy 
that had, well, and to back, and to back up a little bit is I've partnered up with a lot of people through my journey uh, because I haven't had the advantage in the beginning. Uh, I had a lot of no's from, from the banks because I was a DACA recipient or because I am a DACA recipient still. So I had to partner up with people. In those partnerships, I always went to what my unfair advantage was and my unfair advantage has changed throughout the years. So in the beginning, it was time. I had a lot of time. Now, what is what is the unfair advantage, though? What, what is that? Like for someone listening, like what is Diego talking about? What is my unfair advantage? What is that? Yeah. So the unfair advantage is basically is either a skill or something. It's something that you have at the moment that you may offer to somebody else that they may find valuable because they don't have it. At the Got time. it. Got it. Yeah. OK, that yeah. makes sense. And that can change through time. For example, uh, in the beginning, I was partnering up with one of my friends. He had the money and I had the time and the knowledge in Austin. So we were buying houses, even though he was from out of state, we were buying houses in Austin and renting them by the room because I knew that market, right? And I didn't have money at the time. And we created our partnership in a way that I could buy myself back into 50-50 partnerships in the years to come. Uh, but finding out what my unfair advantage is, has, has been great. And then, like I said in the beginning, knowing that that can change in the future, because now fast forward some years later, now I'm in the position where I can be the one that gives the money to other investors that may have, that may be the boots on the ground, or that may have the time or the knowledge that I don't have. So I'm leveraging different things at the moment. Got it. So your unfair advantage is like a position maybe that you're in that someone else wants to leverage because they don't have that position at the moment. For example, time or money or an expertise or some type of something that you're good at. So I get that. I think that's really cool. So you've learned that throughout the years and that changes also as you grow in real estate and in business. So I think that's awesome. Uh, I think my one of my biggest lessons that I've learned in real estate, and I'll start with a bang and then we'll work our way backwards here. And a lot of people that have heard me on podcasts know this one. But um, one of the biggest things that's taught me lessons in real estate is asking why. Um, and when I first got started in real estate, even in like like school and life and everything, I just assumed that when somebody said no, that that was the end all be all. Right. So they were like, no, you can't have this loan. No, you can't be in the school play. No, you can't play on the soccer team. I don't know. Fill in the blank. Um, I would I would just accept that. Like, OK, moving on. Like, I guess I'll figure it out. And I started to, like, get into this, like, I don't even know where it stemmed from, if I'm being honest, but I got I got kind of tired of hearing no, if you will. No, your grades aren't high enough. No, like, and it just kept going. And then one day I remember being at the bank and I remember being at this bank in Franklin, Tennessee, and I'll never forget. I talked to the, the, uh, the senior VP there. Like, like I was, can I get a loan? Like I was trying to do all this. And, and like, we went through my paperwork and she was like, I'm sorry. Like, it's not something that we can do for you. And I remember being like, okay. And I just walked out and I remember. So like the bank has two double doors. And I remember walking out the first door and I don't know what it was, but something said, if I walk out that second door, like that's it. Like I'm not going to do real estate. Like I could feel it in my gut that I was never going to try it again. 
Hey, oh man. And I was getting back in my work truck, back to the construction site. And I was like, if I walk out this door, I'm not, this isn't going to work. So I turned around. I went back to, uh, back to her office, Miss Regina. I'll never forget. Um, and I, and I, and I said, and I was like, um, I don't mean to be rude, but curious question. Why can't I get the loan? And she was like, well, you don't have a high enough credit score and you haven't made enough money. And I was like, oh, so money and my credit score. She was, yes. I said, okay, I can fix that. Right. She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, now we have my next step. And it just snowballed from there. All that to say six months later, I got the loan. Um, and my real estate career, uh, you know, kind of took off. And from there, I remember like, that's probably one of my highest producing cash flow properties. It's one of the ones here in Antioch. It does, and no joke, does about $2,000 in cash flow a month, uh, because we rent by the room. So like that would like figuring out that why and, and asking has been like a game changer for me. So for anyone listening, if you're getting a bunch of no's, just know that we've all been there, but not asking why uh, is probably going to be your biggest mistake. And I'll say this last story and then we'll go back to you, Diego. Um, the, the time that I should have asked why, uh, I wanted a lot of people know this story too, that I wanted to be a police officer growing up. And I was asked to leave the police Academy, um, for unrelated reasons to anything that I could, uh, that I could take care of. So the national police department here, basically the sergeant was like, sorry, Felipe, we have enough Latino police officers right now. We don't need you. And I was like, that's not real life right now. That's not really happening. I thought this was like a dream or something. And I didn't ask why. He just said, like, we're good. And he told me to leave. And that was it. Um, and that was like a mistake that I've learned that I should have asked him why. I should have been like, well, why not? And I might have had a better answer. Uh, but luckily, I didn't. And now I did it in real estate. And now I'm super successful. And I love it, right? No shame. <laughs> yeah. But what, what about you, Diego? What's the next lesson that you have learned throughout your career? Yeah, the next the next lesson uh, in my throughout my my career has just, has definitely been when analyzing deals. I want to know, especially in renting by the room or for for example, to maximize the cash flow. Right in Austin, uh, because of the fact that there's high taxes on the properties, uh, you have to maximize the potential for cash flow. So one of them is renting by the room instead of just renting to a single family. But through that, I always analyze, okay, there is good cash flow by renting by the room. But if worse comes to worse, if I do have to rent it out to a family, would I at least break even or maybe be on the, maybe lose like a hundred bucks or maybe cash flow a hundred bucks. But I really want to know what my downside would be if I were to do it the long-term route. Because there's always different ways to maximize. You can turn it into an Airbnb and cash flow a little bit more. Of course, it does require a little bit more work. Uh, same thing with the rooms. Same thing by renting by the room. But investing in the long term, I want to make sure that that as an exit strategy for as one of the strategies that I will be okay. So any deal that I analyze, uh, especially in Austin or in other areas, I have to be okay with those numbers. And then everything else is cherry on the top. Interesting. So someone just starting out, how could they apply that when they're like, all right, I'm going to start in my real estate career. How do I like make sure that I don't mess that up? If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the main thing would be seeing in that particular area, what are, what is the potential to maximize that, that house, right? I know that for example, for you, Felipe in Enioch, 
uh, we have that house and you told me, look, Diego, we can rent it out to a family, but in reality, if we rent it out by the room uh, and the unfair advantage over there, again, was the construction workers, we could rent it to construction workers, we can make a lot more cash flow, but it does require just a little bit more work. So we analyze that and be like, okay, that is option A. Option B would be to just rent out to different, to like a family and cash flow a little bit less, right? So my recommendation for people would be to get a spreadsheet and analyze what option A, B, and C are going to be. And this is very important in the, in the position that you're in, which one is going to be the one that's going to require maybe a little bit more hands-on and which one is going to be a little bit more hands-off. Hands right? Because you can get a long-term property, put a property manager in place, and then that's it. You can just collect the, collect the income uh, and have the property, property manager take care of it. So from my perspective right now, Felipe, I have, I dabble in everything, right? I have the single family homes in Austin that I manage myself. I have a quadplex in, uh, in McAllen that has a property manager over there. Uh, and then the property with you, you manage that one. And then, uh, yeah. And then I guess I call it cash flow. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's funny because you've been to Nashville, like you've never seen your property. It's funny. Anyways. I think I've been there at least like six times or something. Yeah. A bunch and of I times. still haven't seen still it. Still haven't seen it. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, yeah. What about you, Felipe? Do you, do you look at deals like from that perspective too? Like so, what is the option A, option B? I don't honestly, uh, I, I look at deals like what is going to give me the highest cash flow. I don't look for like equity. I don't look for, uh, any of the other plays. I don't, I don't even look for exit strategies, which I probably should. And that's not expert advice. That's probably the terrible advice, but honestly, I just look at, is this property going to give me a thousand plus in cash flow? If it can do that, I feel like all the numbers will fall into place. Cash flow, cash on cash, ROI, exit strategies. If a property cash flow is a thousand bucks a month, I think that all the other numbers are going to fall into place. And that's really the only way I analyze deals. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if that's because that's the only way I know how <laughs> or I'm too lazy to do it any other way. Yeah, no, but that really makes sense, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're cash flowing a thousand, right? But you work your way backwards. If the mortgage is X, right? Uh, let's just say a thousand bucks. But then we're analyzing another deal. Now the mortgage is eighteen hundred, but with the same amount of gross income, uh, and gross is from the top for me. So gross, uh, it will be uh, you will, will cash flow a lot less. So with as you run your numbers, that property will not work. But yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. Like when like I said, when I look at when I look at numbers. Or anything, I'm like, okay, I know that I can get a thousand bucks for this. Or I, I've told you about the other model, and then I'll, I'll go to my next learning thing, Burger King, right? Uh, everyone's like, what the hell is that? I'm like, it's my Burger King model. If I see eight cabins, let's say cabins, let's say we're talking about short-term rental or condos on the beach, whatever. If I see eight or nine on the beach or in the mountains in the Smokies or whatever, and they're doing well, I'm probably going to be the one to buy the next one, the ninth one, right? Like, I don't need to run a thousand numbers. If I can see on Airbnb and AirDNA that they're doing well, then I want to be the next one. Like I'm not going to spend, you know, two or three months learning a market and then buying while other people are jacking up the price of that real estate. So that's just another strategy that I use. It's really just copy and paste. And I've had to do it since high school and college to get through school. So 
it is what it is. <laughs> hey, but you're um, here, so but it's good. That's all that matters. We both got to the same answer. We just found different ways. I remember teachers used to be like, Felipe, do you know how you got the answer? No idea. Like, I could not explain to you how I got the answer. It's right, but I have no idea how I got it. And anyways, were you were you able to explain the way you got your answer, dude? Probably, yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Especially, yeah, no. especially on the math part and everything. Oh my gosh, terrible. So I think the next lesson for me, one of the biggest ones, uh, or not the biggest one was my, my know why, but um, one of the other lessons that I learned was stop trying to do it all myself. So this was huge because for the longest time, I tried to go at real estate by myself. I tried to go at uh, growing and scaling by myself, just reading books and like grinding it out. And then I realized like, I don't have to do this by myself. And not only that, I don't know many very, very successful people that have done it by themselves. Now, I'm not talking about the uber successful like uh, Elon Musk and, and Jeff Bezos. Like, yeah, those fools have done it all by themselves, right? They've gone all the way to the top and they run their businesses and they still have some type of partnerships, but they're, 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 like, they're like the elite of the elite. But most very successful people have business partnerships or some type of, of strategy where they are linked up with another company or whatever. So one of the biggest lessons that I would tell people that are listening is do not feel like you have to do this on your own. Leverage your strength and your weaknesses, right? So for example, I know what I am good at and I am going to leverage that against someone else that has a strength that is my weakness. And the way I learned this was uh, I heard a story uh, about, basically the story came down to you're not going to try to cut a tree down with the, with the dull side of an ax, right? You're going to use the sharp end, obviously, right? So why spend time trying to sharpen the, the dull side when you can sharpen your strength, the sharp side? And if your partner is on the other side of the tree with his ax, the opposite side sharpened, you guys are going to take down that tree faster. And, and that clicked for me. I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. I shouldn't focus on my weaknesses at all. Like I should not even try, like, Personally, I don't care to try to learn Excel or any of this. I can either pay or I can have a partner that's good at, and that's it. I need to focus on what I'm good at that generates revenue and leverage that against a partner that can do the same on the other side. Um, and, and that was one of well, that's a big lesson that I learned that it's okay to partner and leverage their strengths against your strengths and cut down the tree that much faster. Yeah, yeah, no, and from from that perspective too, Philippe, I feel like in investing in real estate, I would say that if you're doing it by yourself, there, if, if you have good cash, like if you're making good money from, from your job or maybe your side hustle or whatever, um, and then you have the time and the knowledge and everything, you can do it by yourself, sure. But I totally agree with you where there is opportunity when, for example, if a down payment of 20% on a $200,000 home is 40,000, $300,000 home is 60,000. If it's going to take you years to save 60,000, uh, you might as well partner up with somebody that can bring third, like 30, them, 30 you, uh, and then partner up and buy a property in year one or year two, and then continue that process because there's so many different things also that benefit from investing in real estate, right? And, and you and I have talked about this in the past, but you get to benefit like now of depreciation of appreciation of the tax deductions of cash flow of like so many different things and right. i feel like taking action sooner rather than later even in a partnership totally makes sense 
I agree. I agree hundred percent. What's your next lesson, Diego? What is something you've had to learn in real estate throughout the years? Yeah, this has been a bit more in conversations with some of my mentors in GoBundance. And that is like real estate, it's forgiving at times through time. So for example, right? A lot of people may look at some deals and let's say it's a hundred unit apartment building, right? I Right now, the biggest one that I own, it's 16 unit with you and a few other partners, Felipe. But let's just give the example of, of, of 100 units. If like there is potential in future cash flow, if you have a property that's 100 units and you raise the rents by $25 from one year to the next, you increase your cash flow by $30,000, right? So 100 times $25 is 2,500 times 12 for the year, 30,000. If you do that every year, imagine that in three years, you have almost $90,000 more in cash flow than you had three years ago. So that just like, it creates so much opportunity by knowing that through time, as rents appreciate too, you, you don't even have to buy more stuff and it, your cash flow will continue to grow. Uh, so that is one tip that, that I have learned recently, but I know that I'm gonna be being more like, I'm going to see that in the future as, as, as I buy more and more doors. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's interesting because we always, we hear that, that line, like don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And that's so true. Um, because the more, so like, for example, I, I know that in real estate I've never, and this is crazy to say, I've never lost money in real estate but it's not because I'm a savvy investor or super smart or better than anyone else or can run better numbers. It's because I'm, I'm in it for the long game and real estate is forgiving. Like if I'm buying a property that's worth a hundred thousand and paying 105,000 people are like, Oh, you overpaid. I overpaid for today, but tomorrow it might be worth that. Plus the cash flow. Cause remember I'm in it for the cash flow, and I'm typically allowed, allowed myself to go the price plus the cash flow of one year over. So if I know I'm gonna make $5,000 in cash flow that month and the property is going for 100K, I'm willing to pay 105 because I know in that first year I'm gonna make that cash flow back. Dumb rule of thumb, but it works for me. So it's like you said, like or like I said, for me, time will fix those things. And I know that with buying real estate today, it's forgiving even later if I made a mistake by any means. Uh, which leads me into my next lesson. My One of the lessons that I learned in real estate was finding my why, my niche, my what I like. In Rat Race to Fi, right, the podcast you're listening to, but Diego and I have a mastermind, Rat Race to Fi, we teach a lot of things, flipping, wholesaling, real estate, e-com, the list goes on. We put a lot of information in front of our mentees. The only thing that we can't do for them is pick, STRs, right? We put everything in front of them. It is their decision to pick what fits their goal, their niche, their reason. And when I first started, Diego, I didn't know why I wanted to do real estate. I just knew that that was the only way to get rich. I wasn't going to play basketball. I wasn't cute enough to run the runway. Like, there's a lot of things that I was never going to do to get rich, but I found out that I could do real estate because my looks didn't matter. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go out and buy just a property that cash flows. So I went out and I got a six unit, um, like a little apartment complex, just a little six 
uh, a little six unit and I hated it. It cash flowed amazing though. Like, like it cash flowed like $1,500 a month. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, but very quickly I realized I hated it. Like I was like hands on, uh, property manager sucks. Like I didn't do all the due diligence that I was supposed to. And it was probably one of the, my biggest lessons learned in real estate. Once I got started that I needed to focus on why I was getting into real estate. And there was a book that I read called life and air instead of millionaire, which has some of the ideology that you talk about where it's about live, uh, build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle, something like that. I'll let you explain it in a minute. Um, but like it taught me that like, I, I wasn't in this for the money necessarily, or just like I was in this because I wanted a freedom, a lifestyle, my family. And, uh, I, I saw that that cash flow wasn't the same as other cash flow. So I ended up selling that property and I bought one single family house here in Nashville cash. And that cash flow is worth more to me than that six unit. Um, and, 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 and going back to what I learned earlier was that even though I didn't like the property or like what I was doing, I sold it six months down the road at a profit with cash flow. Um, and it still worked out in my favor because real estate is forgiving. Um, so one of the lessons, so that lesson learned was know your why before you start investing in real estate, know why you want to get started. And if you say, Oh, money, then I would challenge you to go back and look in the mirror and, and dig deeper than that, because money is not the answer. Money is a tool. Something that you mentioned, Felipe, is like uh, not all cash flow is the same, right? Because yeah. if one if one thing you can say, oh, it's passive, but I'm doing this as property manager and lessons learned for sure on due diligence. Um, but not all cash flow is is the same just based on the amount of time and effort. And maybe you were super reactive and responsive in trying to fix or trying to uh, to fill the vacancies, this and that, and maybe it wasn't as good of quality tenants. Uh, so you really have to realize uh, that not all cash flow is the same and trying to identify what kind of cash flow you really want, right? And being okay, like, hey, maybe in the beginning it is okay to sacrifice and maximize the cash flow, but sometimes it's not. Uh, so, but it's up to that person to identify what works best for them. Totally agree with you there. Yeah. That was that that's 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 it, man. That was my lesson learned. And once I figured out my why, I would just double down on that and buy as many of those properties that I could. That that kind of plugged and played in my portfolio. Personally, I'm not a fan uh of multifamily. That doesn't mean they're not good. A lot of people only do multifamily, and that's okay. But just personally, for my goals that I want to do, multifamily just ain't it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially if you were like like that one that you were going to manage it yourself and take care of it yourself. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude, for for me, uh, one of the ones, one of the lessons is be okay with paying that wholesaler or that realtor or that expert their fee, right? No matter what, no matter what it is, if the deal works. I remember in the beginning, I was buying houses from my brother who's a wholesaler in Jacksonville. And in the beginning, his wholesale fee was like a thousand bucks here or two thousand bucks there. But later, as he was growing uh, and having employees and everything, he told me, hey, Diego, I have this great deal. I can sell it to another investor or I can sell it to you. Just know that my profit on this one has to be twelve thousand dollars. Are you OK with that? Right. And I looked at the numbers and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll totally pay twelve thousand dollars as your wholesale fee assignment fee. 
uh, because of the fact that my numbers work well, uh, just based on the amount of money that you're uh, on the on on the price of of that duplex right there and there, and the potential of the duplex, the cash flow and the appreciation and all of that stuff, right? So be okay with that because what that's gonna make is my brother then later will come with more deals too. But if you're too greedy by not being able to pay those people, um, then at that point um, you may lose more opportunities in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's 100% true. Um, I know a lot of real estate investors that they'll, they, they won't buy a good deal because it's a wholesale deal and the wholesaler is making 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. But if the numbers work for you at the purchase price you're getting pitched at, what's, I don't, I never understood that problem. And that's a greed issue in my opinion. So a lot of times I think that people need to look at their own numbers, kind of like in school, keep your eyes on your own paper. Like if they're going to make an assignment fee, but you still got a deal that meets your criteria, why not go through with it? Why do you care what someone else makes? Yeah. I remember I saw a post, I think it was Ryan Pineda recently. Uh, yeah. I think it was him, right? That he's like, look, I just bought a, some million dollar property thing. And the wholesale fee was like 200 or $300,000. I think it was like 200 K. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And I was like, and he said, look, I will gladly pay it because of the fact that it's going to make me like, what if there's a million dollars on the table that, that you're because of your greediness of $200, 200,000, you're not going to be able to get the opportunity to make over a million dollars. Like something's got to give, right? So be okay with paying for that. Exactly. No, I agree hundred percent. I think a lot of time people won't take advantage of that situation. And it's like, dude, like it's cool. The numbers work. So that's, that's, that's that lesson learned. My next lesson learned Diego was it's okay to lose a deal. I've had properties under contract and I'm like, I'm going to make this deal work. I want to make it work. It, 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 it works. The numbers are there it might be slim, but forcing a property to work when you know it doesn't, you have to be real with yourself and you have to be okay with losing earnest money or losing a contract because if you're going to lose a thousand dollars in earnest money or put yourself in a two hundred thousand dollar property that doesn't cash flow or isn't good for your strategy is dumb like like be okay with losing a, a deal right if you think it's a deal if you find out that in inspection it has mold and the pipes aren't working or whatever the case may be like based on the inspection if it doesn't come out to be a deal anymore I had to learn to be okay with letting properties go. And that was really hard because they're really hard to get and you start getting emotionally attached. So one of the lessons that I learned is be okay with losing a potential deal or something you thought was a deal. Um, and don't like try to force a deal, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And at the end of the day too, Felipe is if you're going to be able to buy a deal, uh, no matter what, you want to make sure that you can sleep well at night. Because if, right. if it's going to be super uncomfortable, if every day you're looked like you don't know what's going to happen, uh, it's like, is it now the time that something's going to give on the house or maybe it's like foundation or something? Um, you want to make sure that no matter what, uh, that you can sleep well at night with all of the deals that you're buying. Because if Correct. not, it's not worth it. It's not going to be worth it. If you have that fear, if you're nervous about something, uh, it is much better to just move on to the next one because there are a lot of deals out there. Right. And that happens a lot. People, people will get attached to a deal and, and you know, what's funny is like, I've found out in the past that like a better deal will come up always and that's okay. 
So losing a deal, it's no big deal. So that was my lesson. Yeah. Losing a deal is no big deal. Uh, losing a deal, no big deal. Yeah. Guys, the other one uh, for me that has been important is, especially when like you're investing out of state, is the importance of having the right team in place. Mm -hmm. it, it's uh, having the right investor-friendly realtor, the right property manager, uh, the right contractors. And what I like to do is basically, if the realtor tells me one thing, I want to ask the property manager or if the wholesaler, right? Because sometimes the wholesalers, they're not working for you at times, right? They want to just sell you a property. So the wholesaler might be telling you a couple of things here and there, but I want to back that up with the opinion of the property manager to make sure that that is correct. Because if a wholesaler says, hey, this is the house, it's in this area, and then I, and then I look, I run my numbers, like, oh, this is great. And then I call the property manager. It's like, oh, we actually, we're, we don't do, we don't do property management in that area because it's because of A, B, and C. At that point, you're going to buy a deal and not going to have a property manager to take care of it. And they have their reasons as to why. So you want to make sure that you're working with the right team, the right experts in place. And that includes the right lender, investor from a realtor, wholesaler, and property manager. And make sure that um, that you're asking the right questions for them so that throughout the process, everybody's in the same page as to the kind of deal that you're getting, the cash flow, uh, and all of that stuff. So super important to have the right team. I like that because like when I first started out, I, this is, and this is this is honest to God too. When I first started out, Diego, I thought that like people were like, oh, you got to have the right team. You got to have this. I was like, man, I can't afford a team right now. Like, I just didn't think that that was like, that's how that worked. And you're a realtor, Diego. Do you mind explaining a little bit really quick about that team? Like, what is that? What is your team? What does that look like? And how they're all free and people don't realize that. Can you explain that? Yeah. So a realtor as a buyer's agent, the buyer's agent works for free for you as a potential investor or future homeowner. And the seller is the one that pays the commission. So you do not have to come out of pocket in the beginning. The realtor gets paid at closing, but they are representing you to the best of their ability. And, uh, and they're the ones that are walking you through the process. If at any point you decide that you're like, Diego, I'm not ready to buy yet, then you back out, then I don't make any money. And that is fine because at the end of the day, we're here to help you. Um, but just know that we're working for you and it's for free. It's not coming out of your pocket. That's something that's really important because some, some people may feel like, oh, I don't have the money to get a realtor right now. I cannot pay them, but they work for free. Exactly. And a lot of times people don't realize that. Like they're like, I don't have money to pay for a realtor. And like sometimes we take the knowledge that we know for granted, right? Diego, it's like, oh, you don't pay for the realtor. Like that all happens in the transaction. And a lot of times people hesitate for that. And like, that's another lesson that I had to learn. Um, something else that I've had to learn in real estate is the importance of like keeping your promises and your word. I know that's like, well, duh, Felipe. But like, if you say you're going to close on something, unless the inspection comes back bad or something, or if you say you're going to partner with somebody, or if you say you're going to do what you're going to do, like, like do it. Don't end up becoming that person that falls short all the time or that um, doesn't come through with the work that they say they're going to do. 
Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're going to do, you know, real estate and, 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 and business, um, the biggest thing that you have is your word. And it's really, really hard to keep it daily and really easy to lose it. And once you lose your word to somebody, like it's hard for them to trust you. Um, I was talking to Ryan Pineda and he was saying the same thing. He was like, if I borrow money from someone and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go flip this property at 100000 and I'm going to sell it for 150 and I'm going to make you 20% return. He goes, if that property goes south, my hard money lender is still making 20%. I'm not going to call my hard money lender and be like, yo, I'm sorry, bro. I'm only, you're only going to make 10%. The deal went south. Dude, you will never get money from that person again. And personally, I would rather save a relationship than make money on one deal because there's more deals. And if I promise somebody 20%, I'm going to pay them 20%. So do what you say you're going to do and never put that pressure on your hard money lender, private money lender, or loan officer. Like if you're like, yo, I'm going to pay you back 20%, pay them back 20%, even if it's out of your pocket, because the lessons you learned go over the next one and they'll lend to you again. So you don't want to lose those relationships. So that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, I keep saying that. That's a huge lesson that I learned um, is do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that's really important because at the end, because like you don't know how many more opportunities will come from that from just that hard money lender. Like, right. and as you grow too, you may have other opportunities. So maybe you're doing a flip, um, just one at a time. But in the future, you might be doing three or five at a time, and then that hard money lender is going to have that trust on you. Especially if you if if you're transparent and you're like, look, these were the numbers we but x happened and we still are able to pay you back we're not going to make any money us as a company but you're more important that builds credibility and that builds trust and that allows people to maybe in the future also uh tell their friends so that they have other investors investing with you as well so just make sure that one relationship can definitely open up the doors to many more if you say, if you do what you said you were going to do. Correct. I agree hundred percent because that person is going to go to other people like, yo, this person does make you the returns that saying, uh, and that's huge. So that's another one of my lessons that I've learned. Um, I only have one more, but Diego, I'll let you go with your last one if you want. Yeah, this is my last one. Uh, so my last one is make sure that you are like an action step is once a month, if you're not already doing it, make sure that you are analyzing your financials, of course, from like your budget, your job and all of that stuff, but of your properties as well. It's very important to know how much money is coming in, how much is coming out from those properties so that you know that maybe that property is, is losing you money and you didn't know because it's been three months since you saw the numbers or six months. Sure, you may see income coming in from the property manager or or whatever, uh, but you really want to make sure that you're that you're tracking all the numbers the right way. And my suggestion will be to just spend one Sunday morning, for example, or one Saturday morning, look at your portfolio, look at the numbers, and uh, and see that your properties are doing the things that you that is giving you the return of what you bought it for. Yeah, that's that's one of the ones that uh, sometimes we tend to forget to do is like 
we buy a bunch of real estate and we're, we're continuing growth mode and growth, growth mode and growth mode, but we tend to stop and like not look back at what we've already grown and be like, okay, what's not firing? Why is this property producing 60, 70% of what it was supposed to? Oh, it's because I have a vacant room. Crap, I forgot or, you know, whatever. So those things are huge to look back and make sure that the assets that you already have are performing at or better than just their like capacity, right? So definitely take advantage of, of, uh, of looking at what you've already built, focus on, on growing, but don't lose focus of, uh, what you already have. Right. So that's really important. Tracking stuff, measuring stuff. Exactly. Uh, and like I said, even though I hate Excel sheets, um, I, I partnered with Jim from rat race to five mastermind. And it was like, yo dude, can you help me build out like one centralized location where I can see everything? Uh, and that's what he's doing. I think I gave you access to that. Yeah, and that's he what he's doing. Access. And it's like hilarious. It? It's hilarious Why? because you, I got your email mm. and you were like, Hey guys, this is a sheet that we're going to use. I opened it. I'm like, he did not create this at <laughs> all because they had pictures of the houses. And I'm like, there is no way that's Felipe. So I knew it was somebody else. Cool. But it's a good yeah. one though. It's a good one. It is. It's really good. And I know that that's not my strength. So I was like, but I know it needed to get done. So I was like delaying it and delaying it. And we had spreadsheets here and all this crap everywhere. And I was like, I want it all centralized. So I talked to Jim and I was like, yo, dude, can you build this for me? And he's like, tell me what you want. So I like kind of explained it to him. I actually flew him out to Nashville, uh, put him up in a hotel close to my house. And I was like, this is what I want. Can you do it? Like, and he's like, yeah, I will. So he did it all and, and it looks all great. And now it's all in one location. And if any of us need anything for loans or for, you know, any data points, it's all right there for taxes. It's right there. Um, so yeah, I just partnered with somebody and, and it looks great. Um, dude, my last lesson, uh, before we jump out of here in real estate is I deserve it. And I feel like a lot of the times we grow up in an environment, uh, as, 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 you know, uh, minorities, we grow up in an environment where sometimes we don't feel like we deserve something. And that's something hard to admit because like when I was working on the construction site or as a, as an Uber driver or all these other side hustles that I've had, I saw other people with success and I knew I wanted it, but I wasn't like, come with this, Pico. Like I wasn't a hundred percent convinced that I deserved it. You know, does that make sense? Like, like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, I was like, I know I want it. I know I need it, but I wasn't 1000% sure that I deserved it. And I had to come to the realization that I do deserve it. And once I accepted that reality, I made it my reality. And I'll let you talk a little bit about this, but you always say like, you have to, um, I'm going to slaughter this. You have to become the millionaire before you become the millionaire. Can you talk about that? Cause like, I listen to a lot of what you say too. And I'm like, man, that makes sense. Talk about that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I always say is like, first you have to become the person that achieves financial freedom and then you get it. Because a lot of people think that from one day to the next, you're going to become rich or you're going to become financial independent. But that's not true. There is different habits. There's different conversations that you have, different stages, different hurdles, because the path to FI is not easy. Uh, but first you have to become that person that's taking the right action and the money will come later. And, uh, and that's because the mindset needs to be strong enough. The, your, your peer group needs to hold you accountable. You have to have the right goals. So I totally agree with you, Felipe. Uh, you have to like, you, you have to become that person that 
knows that they deserve it. And then you're able to take action. And I feel like with the right, like with the right expectation of why not me. And when that happens, you begin, and this is getting a little bit more like woo-woo or whatever, but you yeah. play it at a different frequency because you're attracting different things in life, right? Uh, I feel like uh, something that uh, something that Jim Rohn says is like success is not something you pursue. Success is something you attract by the person you become. So I'm mm. a big believer that you attract different things in your life, but that is because you're putting yourself in an opportunity to get lucky. It's not just that, um, what, what is that book? Like the law, the secret, right? Where like, it's sort of like, you just, you can just sit here and things are going to come. It's not like that. Is you have to take the right action, but you have to know what you want. That's really important. And that goes along with what you were saying of deserving that, of knowing that you deserve that for yourself and for your family too. Uh, one of the quotes that's one of my favorites, uh, from uh, the podcast Charro Azteca yeah. uh, is basically like, hey, our families didn't make it this far so that we can only make it this far, right? Us right. as first generation immigrants is more from the perspective, look, there's so much more and it's up to us to decide when we deserve it and then just go for it. And that's it, man. I think we're going to end right there. We haven't come this far to only come this far. And that doesn't mean just immigrants. That's anyone and everyone listening. Our parents didn't come fill in the blank far for you to just come this far. You deserve more. You deserve better. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice by only going so far. That's why I don't understand this whole skinny fi thing. Like, <laughs> why are people like, oh, I may, I got a $3 shirt and I'm like, bro, like, I'm not, I don't know. That's just uh, no hate, all love. I just can't figure that one out. Anyways, we'll leave it off with that. Those are some of the lessons that Diego and I have learned Diego, thanks for the podcast, bro. Um, so many more things, good things to come. Uh, last couple of words from Puerto Rico before we run out of here. Last couple of words. Guys, be grateful for the life that you have. Uh, and one of the quotes that I like from, uh, from Hal Elrod, he said, be happy with the life that you have as you're building the life of your dreams. So I've always been like, just that. I would just... Have, have, have it at that. Be grateful, be present where you are and enjoy life to the fullest to what it means for you, for you. Not for everybody or for Instagram, but for you. The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.